I subscribe to Outside Magazine. Hey. Now, I do this. It's a strange thing. Years ago, someone bought me a subscription for it, and I, uh, I thought it was pretty cool to read about outside adventures, vicariously climb Mount Everest, you know, that kind of stuff. And so uh, every five years or so, I don't subscribe to it all the time, but every five years ago, I kind of revisit Outside Magazine, and uh, I kind of go through it in detail to try and get a feel for some of the current, um, I don't know, current, the spirit of our age a little bit and uh, kind of cultural uh, things. And uh, this last year, there was an issue that was called um, how, to, how to Hack into Life, meaning how to get the most out of life. And so a lot of Outside Magazine is all about adventures. And so what it was, the title of it was Live Your Best Life, 127 Strategies for Living Bravely, Wisdom, Tips, and Advice that's guaranteed to make every year count. Okay? And so uh, to make every year count, what they did was they had categories like 0 to 20, and then the year 20s to 30s, and then 40s to 50s, that kind of thing. So you read the whole, the whole, art, the whole magazine was committed to this, to this theme. And it culminated with this idea of going out with a bang. Okay? So the last category was 65 plus, And the plus is like, we're not sure how much longer you have. But... Uh, go out with a bang. And so um, the, the theme was also essentially resist all attempts at routine. So you, you gotta, you're going to be in a routine at 21 years old and break out of that routine, that kind of thing. So uh, you, you discover, for instance, things like from 0 to 20, um, that, that is the time frame for the, your most vivid adventures. You will remember uh, that first camping trip, uh, that first fishing trip, you will remember those. So it's the time of most vivid memories. So go for it. Um, by the way, your metabolism peaks at 14. I don't know if you know that. I, th- I found that depressing. So uh, from 0 to 20, though, you want to make sure you have, you're outside and you are like a river rafting guide or a, a, a deckhand on a lobster ship, right? That kind of stuff. So you're, you're suggested, it, 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 it's, the suggestion is to get out and do stuff Go for it. And now the 20s and 30s, um, a lot of ink was committed to, to nutrition. Uh, so it's sort of like gear up, get ready, uh, and a l- lot of uh, concern about fractures, eating enough calcium. Uh, and then in and, and this time frame, you're supposed to hit the road. Get out there again. Uh, I don't know how you pay for all this, but you, you just get out there. And the, there's, the, there's a whole list of adventures that are suggested. And then I caught this one phrase, and here it is. Uh, and this was under the suggestion of read great authors. Read great authors during your 20s and 30s. And, it's, and it said this. It said, you will not only learn uh, the world, but you'll learn what it means to be truly alive. Ah, so you read great authors while you're kayaking in Brazil or something like that. And, so, and then, it's interesting, in the 20s and 30s, you're also introduced to drinking. Uh, I'm not sure how that works with calcium and nutrition. But uh, it highlighted a lot of famous bars you should, you should hike to and, and uh, out-of-the-way places and beer festivals. And then in the 30s and 40s, uh, the, this section was the first thing you noted was that you gain at least 10 pounds. <laughs> so um, some of us have achieved that, so good job. <laughs> and then uh, you're introduced to facts about, uh, again, how you are to get out of the gray cubicle known as your office uh, things like the average age of, the cli- of climbers on Mount Everest is 34 years old. So get out of your cubicle. That's the idea. 
Um, and then again, more nutrition is talked about, and ditch the pizza and the ramen, and eat salmon, eggs, uh, quinoa. Is that right, quinoa? Kind of? Quinoa. Good. I, I'm, that's right. I don't eat it, so there you go. So, um, and kale and chickpeas. Chickpeas. Chickpeas were highlighted because even though you, you whirl them in the uh, food processor, they don't break down, and they're really amazing things, chickpeas. I didn't know that. And then the uh, interesting advice here, I'm, this is going to be a long introdu- introduction and then three points and we're done. Okay, so here we go. So um, it was interesting is that someone was quoted, an editor or somebody said that in the 30s and 40s, this time period is, is, is summarized by this. Quote, if you think the grass is greener, go make sure it's greener. <laughs> and make your hobby your life. Okay, so now the 40s and 50s is described as one big wake-up call. Yeah. So, George, George you've reached your apex. Um, it's a time, it's a really great time because you know what you want and you know how to get it. So, recommended, lots of feats of adrenaline, do it now because you are peaking. And one key fact, one key fact is that your competitive drive is over by 50. Uh, so if you're in a race, you don't care to win. It's over, you don't care. And someone along the way in this life, somewhere along the way, you get lots of cash. Because the cool thing about being in your, in your 40s and 50s is that you can afford all these really cool toys that they want you to know about. For instance, uh, there, there's a, a $1,300 custom surfboard that you're recommended to buy. A utility knife that's $750. I thought, man, that, that kind of intrigued me. I wanted to know what that was all about. And then an all-wood canoe for $7,600. And again, lots of exercise is, is recommended. Now, in the 50s and 60s, you're introduced to a guy named Ed from Ketchum, Idaho, who, while living in Seattle area, uh, has climbed Mount Everest seven times and has climbed Mount Rainier 212 times. So Ed is to prod you, like, get out, go for it, think and think deeply about what Ed is all about. And this section has lots of suggestions for exotic travel, and next to exotic travel, you can put four or five dollar signs, because it's really exotic and really amazing, and of course, who wouldn't enjoy these things? And then the, the 65 and plus section is actually very short. <laughs> there, there's, there's not a lot of suggestions. And there's a guy who's a marathon runner who looks kind of tired. <laughs> and so, again, that section is titled Go Out With a Bang, but they don't really have a lot of ideas as to what that means. So, um, again, though, interestingly enough, though, somehow going out with a bang, a lot of bang is related to fish oil, antioxidant food, rich food, and then more protein, less carbs. And um, that... Whole, whole issue, I have it here, actually you can see it, Mary should hold it up, no. uh, it's, 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 it's devoted to life hacking, it is unearthing the real quest for life, now I, uh, I really relate to a lot of that, because I can see some of those things in my life, not the $750 utility knife, but um, I can see some of the things, and they're asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive, what does it mean to be fully alive, I think people when they walk through downtown Kailua, and they're 
trying, thinking about buying something, um, they're probably thinking, what does it mean to be fully alive? They may not put it that way, but Outside Magazine has ideas for you, how to hack into life, how to wrestle this mystery of life down to make it deeply satisfying and meaningful. How do you access life? How do you, like a hacker with a computer, get inside to the very core of what life is, to understand it, to feel it, to connect with it, to be absorbed with it? Someone doesn't climb Mount Everest seven times without sensing they are after something. Uh, I taped some of the Wimbledon championships this year, and the final was uh, you know, with Roger Federer and uh, this uh, Djokovic uh, from Serbia. And Rod- uh, Roger Federer is after his eighth Wimbledon championship. And I just thought, man, I want just just go have a latte somewhere. Just just eight times. What what will happen when you hold the trophy up eight times? You know what I'm saying? I kept thinking, wow, something doesn't seem seem right. And the guy who climbed Mount Everest seven times is is sensing that they are after something. It might be something like this. Finally, the very spirit of Everest, its immensity its extraordinary danger and its beauty may produce a thrill inside me that will stay with me and not leave me until I return to my dreary cubicle or when I return to my dreary cubicle at the office. In other words, the very life that is Everest, its animating spirit can somehow, if I reach the summit seven times, maybe eight times, maybe ten times, at some point what I'm surrounding myself with is going to become inside me. I'm going to become one with this immense, amazing mountain. I will touch it, embrace it, drink it, surround myself in uh, with it, finally see, finally know. I will know what makes this world so alive. I will be one with its beauty, and I will be transformed. How do I access this? The magazine says the key word is courage. Courage. Courage is the answer. Courage demonstrated over the whole of one's life, and you have the best shot at feeling alive and experiencing the beauty that you're chasing. To this, the Apostle Paul says to the Colossians, in Colossians 2.6, he says these words, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In scripture, we access the one who has made all things. The one who is the source behind the majesty of Everest and all of creation. Through Jesus Christ, we access this whatever it is that's animating this world and making it so beautiful, through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, we have received this Lord. And Paul says to the Colossians, just as you have received him, walk in him. So for us, the question for us is, as Christians who've gathered this morning, what are you trying to hack into? What are you trying to 
make happen in your life? What courage are you applying to your circumstances in order to make something happen? Just reading scripture, just rehearsing this alone does not actually tap us into the operative key word, which is not courage, but faith. You see, what, we, what, what, doesn't, what uh, does not bring transformation, information does not bring transformation. It is faith engaged in accessing this extraordinary Lord that we call Christ. And I want to suggest to you just a couple ideas. First, that Christ is the Lord, and this faith is growing the dominant center. Sometimes in my outlines, I get a little too fancy, and uh, sometimes uh, it, the clarity is not quite there. So let me just share with you that what Paul's saying to the Colossians is that the dominant center of the universe is Christ Jesus, who rose again from the dead, ascended to his throne, and now rules at the right hand of the Father, He is the king over all principality and power. He's the dominant center. And faith is now growing to access this dominant center. All of us have a dominant center. We have something that is making us go and move and animate us. And what we're doing as Christians is we are exchanging the old dominant center, which is really ourselves, and our pursuits with a new dominant center. And so what the New Testament does as it describes Jesus is it describes him in truth, truthful ways, also delightful ways for our new appetite or longing or apprehension of him. So uh, just as a, a mountain is delightful to someone who likes mountain climbing, Christ is being made delightful to us who believe. And the funny thing is, is that we, the odd thing is, is that even as Christians, we need this constant reminder of how, how delightful he is. In our Christian lives, we sense that something is not right. We are not as alive as we should be, not as thankful, not as obedient. Right? Do you sense that? I hope you, I hope you have... That honesty, it's okay to say, I get it, I, I can see that. And one of the, uh, the things that we do, and let me give you sort of a trick question, so if I ever pull this on you after church, you'll know how to answer it, okay? So here's how it goes. Um, but the answer, well, here's how it goes. I'll, leave, I'll set it up. So I might ask you, or maybe a small group leader in, in, in Trinity here might ask you this question. What is the one thing right now that you need that will really get your Christian life up and going? That's a, that's a good question. What's the one thing you need? And so the answers go like this. Well, I need to be more committed. Oh, I really need to pray more. Um, I need to read my Bible more. I need to share my faith more. So inevitably, we, we sort of have this impulse of activity and to do something, right? And uh, the, the, the problem with that answer is is that... Uh, those are good things, by the way, reading your Bible and praying and sharing your faith. Those are all good things. But I, as I've asked that question for years and years of people, um, I can't remember a single person who said, well, what I need is more faith. We, we have an instinctive sense that activity is going to somehow solve and fix our stubborn 
wayward hearts. And Jesus was asked in John 6, what must we do by the disciples? What must we do that we might do the works of God? What a perfect place to say, well, pray more or read scripture or what a perfect place for Jesus to say that. He said, no, he said, this is the work of God that you believe in the one that he sent. That's the work. And when you do that work, you're going to be well on the way to working as a result of faith. Faith does work. Real biblical faith is active. Do not underestimate it. Uh, Martin Luther was in many ways questioned about this whole idea that faith justifies and justifying faith. and This seemed like a really kind of wimpy sort of, what does that do? And Luther, his response was, do not underestimate the power of faith. That when faith connects with this powerful God in in justifying grace, it is extraordinary and it is powerful. So what's the one thing we need right now? The one thing you need um, is faith engaging Colossians 2.6. For you to take it right now in your circumstances and say, wow, I need, just as I have received Christ Jesus the Lord, I received him by faith, so walk in him. I now need to take my circumstances and I need to live by faith. Take a disappointment you're experiencing. Take a sorrow that you're experiencing. Take a hardship that you're experiencing. Take something that's completely thrown your life off and now you've got to preach to yourself This sermon, as I have received Christ Jesus the Lord, he was so magnificent when I received him, when I became aware of him, when my eyes were open to him, when I I became one who could understand him. That was delightful. And all I did was have a little faith in him, and it, and it, and it, it lit me up, right? Remember what it was like to live by faith back then, and let that remembrance now connect with this sense of loss or hardship or difficulty. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, that, remember that dominant center that was so delightful? Move into his dominant center again. And may you find great, great joy as you do that. So um, the Westminster Catechisms, it's interesting, talk about the subject of growing in, fa- uh, growing in holiness, which is a term for sanctification. And how do you grow in sanctification? And the answer is you do it by faith. And, of course, faith now is going to really do work. Faith does look like obedience. But it is faith engaging, grabbing hold of, adoring this extraordinary Savior. My point here is that faith is growing into this massive, expanding, dominant center. Everywhere we go, everywhere we walk, there, is, there are options of, a, of another dominant center. If you go down to Alamoana Mall, as you travel through there and you see, what you see are presentations of a dominant center. This should rule your life. These things should, if you have these things, surround yourself. In Outside Magazine, there's a dominant center being presented. If you have this, you will will be able to hack into life by having a spirit of adventure and having courage. You can't walk the, the aisles of Costco or the commissary 
without being presented with it. This is it. If you have this, if you own this, if you possess this, its spirit will be inside you. And uh, many of us have been fooled when we, we sort of, we, we've, been, we, we've done this. We, we know you have to buy uh, nutritious food, but you now don't believe it has saving power. But it, it comes to you with saving power. A new car presents itself with saving power. A husband at the altar or a groom at the altar presents himself with saving power. We should have Marianne talk at this point. With saving power, right? And that's, that's what we're like because we are idolaters. And we bow to the physical creation. I don't want to be too hard on these outside magazine editors, but it's really a beautiful photographic journey into idolatry. It's beautiful. It's extraordinary. People risking their lives for adrenaline rushes. And those are great. And if you're a hiker, if you're a scale glacier, glaciers or whatever, go for it. But realize that behind all of that is just a lot of fear. You're just trying to go out with a bang. You're just not sure really what, what life's about. The true dominant center sounds like this, Colossians 2.9. In him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. The true dominant center sounds like Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them into open shame by triumphing over them. All the spirits of the dark world have been, have been whomped on by Jesus rising from the dead. There is a dominant center in your life right now and you must turn from it lest you live in fear all your life. You're not a Christian here today. Maybe you're aware that this dominant center isn't working at all, and you're just tired. And one more trail, one more purchase, one more thing isn't going to work. I need to turn away from my dominant centers and understand Jesus more clearly as king. You see, spiritual growth is faith accessing Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth is faith accessing Jesus Christ. And then secondly, sort of this Christ is the Lord. And really what's going on here in Colossians 2, 6, and 7 is I believe that, that Paul is helping the Colossians. He probably wouldn't, they wouldn't use this term, but overcoming allergic reactions. You see, we have to ask the question, why do you even have Colossians 2, 6? These are people who have been trained by really good Bible teachers and uh, are aware uh, of, of, what, of what they've been instructed about, and now they have to be reminded of it. What's hard for us to admit is that the Jesus we adore, the Jesus we sing about on Sunday morning, the Jesus we remember on Sundays, is actually the same Jesus we flee from. And it's... It's something we don't easily admit, but we're still suspicious of his lordship. And Paul's trying to bring back a great memory of what it was like for the Colossians to receive Jesus as Lord. You remember that? 
And it was sweet and it was good. And he's saying, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He's trustworthy. Give him your heart. Cooperate. It's going to be okay. Why do we have to be reminded? Because we are allergic to the idea. Colossians 2.2, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. See, um, it, it's hard for us to admit this, but it's so important for us to admit it, that I want to keep Christ's lordship at an arm's length distance I like managing my life. I do actually pretty well with it. This strange response of our heart, it can be indifference. It can be outright rebellion. But the heart needs to be rejuvenated. It, we need to give up our illusions. We anxiously flee the love we delight in. And we know that we are fleeing, but we convince ourselves that we are not. And then usually something just goes bad in life, something difficult, and then a change of heart happens. And we begin to repent. And we begin to change. But we still, we still need to be experiencing a kind of mini, a mini conversion every day. I think that's what Paul's telling the, the Colossians in Colossians 2.6. Your need to believe in Jesus is a daily need. Perhaps we should just leave this Christian heart as this tragic and beautiful, torn and mended thing. And so we sort of have this despairing confidence, as, as, as uh, Clifford Williams, uh, an author I, I've read recently, said, a despairing confidence, despairing in ourselves, but confident in Jesus. Richard Lovelace, uh, an author who talks and writes much about uh, Christian renewal, says that, quote, at times we want to avoid God, not only because we want to evade doing his will, but because we, we retain a slavish fear of him springing from unbelief. So I would recommend, and you can pray for me, that we would surround ourselves. Maybe it would help to have great verses of Scripture that enlarge your heart toward Jesus. Maybe quotes from Christian authors will help. Uh, what are you listening to? What are you exposing yourself to? What's happening so that you realize that your heart needs renewal regularly and daily? Uh, it's exciting to be engaged and engaging with the living Christ. It's vitally important that you believe that as you live your life. And it's exciting to be led by the, by the one who's renewing your heart, the conversations that can happen. They will happen, and God, God will use the heart that is renewed. And um, your joy will be noticed and observed. 
And uh, so it's exciting. And just finally, lastly, Christ the Lord, renewal as outward spirituality. Outward spirituality. And I get this from that last word in verse 7. Uh, actually, the phrase, overflowing with thankfulness. That's an outward movement of the Christian. To be thankful is outward, is to return thanks to God. And what Paul, I believe, prescribes for the Colossians is a way of becoming thankful again. It sounds like being rooted and built up in him, in verse 7, established in the faith, just as you were taught. And, of course, the result, I think that's what's going on here in verse 7, the result of a well-grounded, well-taught Christian understanding Christ, this magnificent Lord, someone who has the right information, engaged by faith, it can't help but produce a thankfulness in that person. So when we find, again, this one who is so wise, who is so solid, who is so perfect, so unspotted in his righteousness, so beautiful in his holiness, and when we are accessing this one by faith, that person is going to be renewed. And of course, repentance plays a role in here as well. It looks like thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is sort of holding on to life loosely. So maybe you get a chance to climb a famous mountain in, 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 on this world, somewhere in the world. Well, you didn't have to climb it, but you had an opportunity to climb it. In other words, you responded to the opportunity because it was presented to you, but it was presented in a way of not just clinging to it as a, as a right, but it came to you and you received it as thankfulness. So you now can thank God and thankfulness is flowing out of you because Christ is Lord. So as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. He is the Lord now over your circumstances and you're going to be okay. Now that's easy to preach about. But reminding yourself that you're going to be okay, now you have an outward spirituality about you. You take risks. You move toward sinners. You move toward darkness. You're okay. You're going to be safe. You have been the recipient of the revelation of God, the revelation of what God is and did, uh, was doing and is doing in his son. So... Really what Proverbs, excuse me, what Colossians 2, 6 and 7 is introducing us to is the fear of the Lord. Christ on his throne, Christ as Lord, is introducing the heart to true good fear. It's the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9, 10, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What's happening here is thankfulness is another word for wholeheartedness. Thankfulness is a wholeheartedness. So you're not climbing a mountain out of fear because, well, I'm just trying to go out with a bang. I'm actually climbing a mountain because I have a sense of wholeheartedness and I'm receiving this as a gift from God. I don't have to have it, 
but it's come my way. And Paul uses the word abounding in thankfulness. Abounding in thankfulness. So the outside magazine editors are sensing that we should be abounding in something. They're tracking with it. The human being should not be stuck in a cubicle. The human being should be abounding and alive. And they've tapped into a truth. But they're missing it. Because nature cannot make you alive. Only Jesus Christ can make you alive. And the great tragedy of the human condition is that abounding in experience after experience, adrenaline, adrenaline rush after adrenaline rush, GoPro video after GoPro video. No matter how many collections you have of extraordinary events around the world, no matter how much adrenaline is coursing through your veins, if you miss a vital connection to Jesus Christ as Lord, you miss everything. Fear follows you up every trail, up every summit, for you know that you only have so much time. But not in the Gospels. Time is no worry for Jesus. He conquered time. Such that John, the apostle, could write this in John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, we're comforted by accessing this life and this light of men by faith. And summarized by the Heidelberg Catechism, question number one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And their answer isn't, well, I made the most of my life, or I got the most out of life, or I knew what foods to eat. The answer is Heidelberg Catechism, that I am not my own. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Listen to that word. You will not experience this hiking the great trails and, or heading to the great peaks of this world because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. And makes me, and here's the key word, I think this connects with Colossians 2.7. And makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. In a, in a phrase, the Heidelberg concludes its first question and its first answer in this way. What he does is he makes me alive. He renews me. He makes me human again. What I see animating the beauty of this world is now in me. And it's working through me. 
and it's making me wholehearted. Courage is not enough. Faith, accessing these truths, is everything. May all of us begin to live outwardly, to live wholeheartedly, and to live ready for whatever comes our way, knowing we have been so well loved. Let's pray.